Praise the Lord, everyone. Certainly good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. I want to welcome all those online. We do have some uh, guests that have come tonight, and it's good to have them here. Um, we hope to connect with them very soon. And uh, so without further ado, we've been teaching on uh, soul winning and being soul-minded, and Sister Tyler is going to teach our third part of soul winning tonight. And I'm asking her to come and minister to us today. May the Lord richly bless you, Sister Tyler. The Lord Church and everybody that's here with us in service today. Uh, first things first, I want to give honor to our pastor and our bishop for giving me the opportunity. Um, as well as just to warn you right now. Um, forgive me if I talk too fast or stutter over my words. I talk fast when I'm nervous, but I'm going to try to slow down today. Okay, so starting off our part three of soul winning. Uh, we're going to open up with Matthew 4 and 19. Uh, and this scripture says, And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So fishers of men here means soul winners, those who cast a line of witness and draw in the souls who respond. Two of the most important characteristics of a soul winner are compassion for souls and the joy of the Lord. This week's lesson is going to be on the joy of the Lord. Have your way. Um, so compassion for souls is what moves us whereas the joy of the Lord is what moves them. Tonight I'll be speaking about the joy of the Lord, starting with Nehemiah 8 and 10. Yes, please do be seated, my bad. <laughs> uh, and it says, don't be sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. These words were spoken by the prophet Ezra, and for context, the walls of Jerusalem had just been rebuilt. The people had been working nonstop for almost two months under the threat of siege. The Bible says that they had what, hammers in one hand and a sword in the other. Uh, and to top it all off, within the city, within the walls that they worked so hard to build, they don't even have homes yet. Uh, and then Ezra gets up on a platform for everyone to see and begins to read from the, to them from the law, reminding them of everything they've been doing wrong and even taking the time to explain the meaning so that every single person would understand. You have no excuses. This is exactly how wrong you've been living. <laughs> the people are busy weeping with regret and sadness, but then he says, neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is what gives us the ability to face ourselves and our human nature and to continue on living for God anyway. It is our strength which helps us to acknowledge the state of the world and praise God in the midst of the storm, regardless of whose fault the situation might be. It would have been easy for the people to look at their lack of homes within Jerusalem and to give up on God and on themselves. It would be easy to look at the division within our country today and to just give up on it. And it would be easy even for me to look at my own sins and to think that God wouldn't bother using me. But his own word says, mourn not nor weep, neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your and I'm just so grateful for that today because, to be honest, I've had so many moments where I'm just looking at myself like, oh, man, I sinned again. 
oh man, I went back to doing this, or oh man, Lord, how am I going to get you to forgive me now? I've done this like three times. But the joy of the Lord steps in, and that peace comes over me, and I just repent. And I repent regardless of how I might feel about how bad my sins are. I just surrender them over to the Lord, and he forgives me and gives me that joy again so that I can continue to try and to live for him because it's a journey. It's not a, oh, you got saved, so you're perfect now. You have to keep trying every single day. So if you've got worries or concerns plaguing you, start praying for the joy of the Lord. If you have no worries at all and you're living on the mountaintop, well, good for you. Like, can I get an invite? <laughs> but start praying for the joy of the Lord <laughs> so that you know what it feels like when you have to go through that next valley. <laughs> when I hold on to the joy of the Lord, I rejoice in Christ anyway. And this is what the unsaved need to see, to, ex to experience, especially in today's world. That strength which allows us to push through our obstacles, whether they are internal or external. So why then does God want us to push through? Romans 14 and 8 says, For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Everything we do is done before God with his eye on us and with only him in a position of judgment over us. Hebrews 4 and 13 in the King James Version says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom he has to do. The Amplified Version says it like this, And not a creature exists that is concealed from his sight, but all things are open and exposed and revealed to the eyes of him with whom we have to give account. So if God is the only one who is able to give our final judgment. And in repentance, baptism, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, we are reconciled with him. And we are in right standing with him. Why would he leave us here to potentially walk right back into sin? Why wouldn't he just, like, beam us up as soon as you got the Holy Ghost? <laughs> Figuring out the answer requires only a little bit of compassion, which is crucial for a soul winner. His purpose in leaving us on earth can be found directly within his word, so that we might live unto the Lord meaning that we are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We are to be the ones who change the world without being changed by it. We are to show forth God's love to this world until he comes. We are to live unto the Lord in everything that we do so that we can fulfill the great commission. For all my hyper-logical thinkers, Romans 10 and 14 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So if fulfilling Acts 2.38 included a one-way ticket to heaven, there would be no one left to spread the gospel to those who had never heard it on earth. In Luke 16, we find the story of the rich man and the poor man named Lazarus, who lay outside the rich man's house, just begging for to be fed by the crumbs off the rich man's table. Both men died, but Lazarus found comfort in the arms of the father. He went to heaven, but the rich man opened his eyes in hell. And after Abraham denies the rich man's request to have Lazarus bring him just a drop of water in hell, the rich man then pleads to them for them to send Lazarus to minister to his family, which is still living. Luke 16, 27 through 31 says, Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them lest they also come into this place of torment. 
Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So the most efficient testimony, according to the word of God, is the one coming from the living. That is the reason we are still here. Our testimony of being in this world and not of it is what our friends and neighbors need to see and hear right now. The testimony of the joy which defies our dire circumstances of this world is what people need to see. Of course, as easy as that is to say, it is not always easy to accomplish. Even though the early church had great revival, they struggled to fulfill the Great Commission. During the first 10 years of the church, we see tremendous growth. There were 3,000 people in the book of Acts 2, 5,000 men in Acts 4, multitudes of men and women in Acts 5, and a great company of Jewish priests in Acts 6. But this all happened inside Jerusalem. So they might have been enjoying the blessings of the Lord, and many souls within her walls might have come to salvation during that 10-year span. But what about the millions of people who didn't live in the city? What about the other cultures that God specifically told them to reach? It's been estimated that the total population of the earth around the time of Acts would have been around 200 million people. Today, we're at about 7 billion. So I did the math. And if one person <laughs> went out today and won one soul, and then those two people went out and won two more souls, and then those four people went out and won four more souls, you would only need about 34 rounds of that for the entire population of all 7.5 billion people to be reached. So what's even better is that we don't even have to start from scratch, per se. The number of Christians estimated in the world right now is said to be about 2.3 billion. Meaning, if every person identifying as a Christian went out and won three souls each, that would be the whole population saved. And it's not expensive work either. There's no money needed. You don't have to be in shape or look a certain way. You just have to be willing to slow down from your busy life, from all the things that are calling you and drawing you to just, you know, relax, enjoy yourself. You worked hard for the money. You worked hard for your house. You know, just take some time, slow down from that, and care enough to share the gospel with at least one person. So then how much blessing do we need within Jerusalem to receive before we're willing and ready to fulfill the Great Commission? How long until we decide that the people outside of our walls are precious enough for us to make the journey? One of the great dangers we face when we go from a struggling small congregation to a successful larger congregation is that we lose our dependence on God's power. We become self-centered instead of God-centered and more focused on ease than on evangelism. In many of our conferences and camp meetings, our focus is mainly on our Jerusalem. They're geared to minister to us, but that's not what Jesus had in mind. The last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples on earth are found in Acts 1 and 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto, both, unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We are instructed to go beyond Jerusalem, into Samaria, even until the gospel reaches the very end of our planet. So once you make that full 360, then you're done. <laughs> there are two promises given in this verse. One, to receive power, and two, to become witnesses. 
we've received the power, but have we become witnesses? The real test of any visitation of God is whether or not you do go out and become a witness for Jesus. And although it might seem natural to stay within the confines of the church where no one's going to disagree and no one's going to talk bad about you for saying the name of Jesus, God has blessed us so that we can go out into the world. It's not, uh, oh, I have to go out. No, it's a you can go out. You're blessed to be able to share this holiness and this joy and this happiness that you have, this peace that you have with other people. Thousands of Christians fail to use the baptism of the Holy Spirit for the purpose it was given, not realizing that disuse is just as bad as misuse. Meaning that not using the Holy Spirit and just sitting in your pew every Sunday is just as bad as you going out and praying super loud so everybody can hear you. Oh, look at me, I'm holy. It's just as bad. <laughs> How many of you know that we receive some things from God when we are filled with the Holy Ghost? Romans 14 and 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Romans 15 and 13 says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. The fruit of the Spirit and the gift of the Spirit will bless our lives, but it's important to note that we are the stewards, not the lords of his blessing. The baptism of the Holy Ghost can be so exciting that we think that just the experience is all there is to it, but this isn't true. We also get the privilege of being witnesses and sharing the gospel with others as it was shared with us. If you remember when you first got saved, when you first really believed on God and you understood that he was with you and gave you peace, if you remember that happiness feeling, you have the privilege of being able to share that with somebody else. In contrast, if we just sit on the Holy Ghost and keep it all to ourselves, it will eventually die out because that is not the primary reason it was given. As a soul winner, we must be ready and willing to embrace the growth that comes with the harvest. After all, that is the point. We are not an exclusive club. We are a welcoming, found family. We can't keep this Holy Ghost to ourselves. It is for the whole world. We can't put a muzzle on this power. We can't suppress the joy because if we do, God will take it from us. It is not just for us, but it is for them. God is not willing that any should perish. So the, or, the early church started out right in that sense, but they stopped too soon. They only wanted to reach out within Jerusalem. They didn't want to go outside the walls. They only wanted to speak to their own kind. They didn't even want to go to Samaria, which was right next door. And Acts 1 and 6 says... When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom unto Israel? Here they were only concerned with the kingdom being restored to them. They wanted to sit in their own state of spiritual blessing within Jerusalem. But Jesus wanted them to leave behind the comfort of Jerusalem and to go unto the ends of the earth. This was the main reason that he gave us the power. This is why we are given joy when we receive the Holy Ghost so that we can go out into the world and the world can become affected by that joy and by that power. And if you think about it, Jesus refers to the Holy Ghost as the comforter. So if we're limiting the comforter to only work while we're physically and naturally in comfort, then we're not giving him the respect he deserves because he can do so much more than that. While you're laying, if you, let's say that you become a missionary and you have to go into the depths of, I don't know, Taiwan or some random country, Let's say that they're not actually kind to Christians. You might be sleeping in a basement somewhere, hiding so that the government doesn't find you. 
But God can give you that joy in the midst of that. He can comfort you while your whole body is saying, oh, no, I'm cold. Oh, no, I don't have any food to eat. Oh, no, everything around me is physically wrong. But he's the comforter, and he can get you through that situation. The early church finally figured this out after much persecution, and when they did, the revival went beyond Jerusalem. Acts 13, 52 through 14 and 1 says, And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude of the Jews and also of the Greeks believed. And then 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 8 says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. Paul told the church at Thessalonica that the gospel came not just in word, but in power, joy, and the Holy Ghost. This is how they won people to God. Then those people became examples to the people of Macedonia and Achaia. In fact, Paul didn't even have to go there because the power and joy of the Holy Ghost was so strong. It was contagious and it spread abroad. And this is how missions work today. If you look at our foreign missionaries, they're usually based in one state. And they just minister to the people who are actually native to that land. And then those people, that's why you see so many Bible colleges being set up, because that's how you get people out there. I don't have to go if I can teach, you know, Harry or John, and then they go. And then I just keep teaching Harry and John's, and then they keep multiplying and teaching, you know, Sally, Jim, whoever, you know? So the Bible says in Isaiah 12 and 3, Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. So how do we draw water out of the wells of salvation? with joy, because joy is our strength. It helps us to pull up that heavy water. If you've ever held a bucket of water or a gallon of water, it's heavy. <laughs> water has a pretty pretty high density, so when you carry it, it might be only that big, but it's pretty heavy. And joy is what gives us the strength to actually lift it. If we want to lead people to salvation, it takes joy. Joy draws people to you, and through God's Spirit joyfully manifesting in you, they will be drawn to God. We cannot win souls without the joy of the Lord in our hearts. David learned the hard way. At one point in David's life, he was so full of the joy of the Lord. When King Saul was at his lowest point, he would send for David to come and play the harp for him. The joy of the Lord would fill that place, and the king's heart was refreshed. But when David fell into sin, the joy of the Lord was taken from him. David knew that he had sinned, but he also knew that something was Psalms 51, 8 through 12 says, Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. David knew that he could not go any longer without the joy of the Lord. That was his strength. That was a defining factor in his life. At the end of his prayer of repentance, David makes a statement that rings so true. 
in Psalms 51, 12 through 13, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. We will never be able to win a soul to the kingdom unless we have the joy of the Lord in our hearts. It's like being sold something by someone who's never used the product. The product might be amazing, but if you don't believe, then I have no reason to either. Your testimony of joy is key. David understood it. The disciples had to learn it the hard way. And when Paul had figured it out, great revival followed. Let's ask the Lord to restore his joy in our life tonight so that we too can be soul winners in this day and hour. Thank you. I'm going to hand it back over. Amen. 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 Sister Tyler did a fantastic job. Um, truly, God is doing a work at Grace Gospel Worship Center. Um, we, we do have more uh, teachers coming up and rising up in the church um, during this uh, pandemic, and God is doing a great work. Um, uh, Sister Tiana will be teaching in November, and we're looking forward to what she'll be teaching on um, which will actually be worship. I've got Brother Johnson that will be teaching on um, how it feels to worship God in the home versus being in the sanctuary. So uh, we've got great things coming up in the month of November. I'm looking forward to what God has in store for Grace Gospel. We welcome each and every one of you with us tonight. May the Lord richly bless you. We will be here on Sunday at 10 a.m. Our worship begins at 10 a.m. Prayer will begin at 9.30. So we ask you to be here so that we can begin prayer and uh, bathe the service in prayer and that our service would be anointed with God's power and His Spirit. Now, let's remember, everything about us is about souls. I, I was telling someone, might have been today, um, not everybody's going to worship the way I worship because it, your method of worship might be mine is governed on how much God has where God's brought me from that I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for the Lord I wouldn't have my wife and my children my grandchildren in my life if, if it was not for the Lord not everybody has a zeal to worship or have or maybe doesn't have the same testimony as God has given me so I don't expect someone to worship the way I worship but I am grateful to the Lord and every day that I get an opportunity to share his goodness and a testimony of what he's done for me I'm gonna give God all the glory I'm gonna talk about how he delivered me from drugs how he put my marriage back together, how he put my children back in my life, and how he pulled me out of an alcoholic life, alone from drugs, every, everything that was a mess in my life. But God, and that's what I talk about. I don't talk about scripture. Because people can relate to it being real. The scripture will come later. They need to know what God's done for you. Amen. And that's what souls, that's what souls are looking for today in America or in overseas. 
they're looking for something substantial and your testimony makes it substantial that God is real that God is alive and if he did it for you he may do it for me or he will do it for me and if I will trust him and then you can convey that trust in the Lord God will deliver them I promise you God will deliver them because he's alive and well let's try to do a great job of witnessing and and be soul-minded every day that we wake up wake up with someone on your mind wake up going God if I don't have nobody on mine put someone on my mind he may not even put someone that you even know he may put someone that when you walk into the store the Lord says I want you to go and speak to that lady or that man you don't know if they're contemplating suicide you don't know if their marriage is just broken up you don't know if their child has just committed suicide you don't know why God is taking you to them do not do not brush it off and go this is just me go and say God has given me the uh, inspiration to talk to you just for a few minutes Will you just give me a few minutes? Talk to them. Tell them about the goodness of God. Even if your testimony's not like mine, may you've been in church all your life, you need to tell them about how good God is. Tell them all the healings you've ever seen or heard of. Tell them about friends that God has delivered or healed. Tell them about family that's been delivered or saved or filled with the Holy Ghost. Talk about the goodness of God. We encourage you to invite someone to church on Sunday. Looking forward to a great move of God. Worship with us as we sing. God bless you. Yeah. 